This is a Danger Entertainment Podcast. DangerEntertainment.net Danger Entertainment Podcast Network. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the geek revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join We Be Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Listen to Weeby Geeks podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or online at WeebyGeeks.net. Weeby Geeks, your voice for the geek revolution. Want to know more? The following production is part of the Weeby Geeks podcast collective. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. Uh, I don't know. There's nothing like hearing the Star Wars main title done on bagpipes. Just gets me going every week. Uh, it is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, myself, Mike. And joining us from Delray Books is editor Tom Holler. Did I get that right? You nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having Woo-hoo. me. Our pleasure. So tell us a little bit about what you do as an editor at Delray Books. Sure. Um, yep. So I work um, at Delray. I'm start part of the Star Wars books team. Um, one of the editors there. I've been there a um, little over five years now. Um, and it's my job um, for Star Wars, but I do this for some other franchises and brands as well um, to help develop stories and uh, books and novels and all, you know, other sorts of audiobooks, that kind of thing to um, help tell stories um, and expand and extend the various uh universes. So Star Wars is obviously the, the biggest part of what I do and what I gather that we'll probably be chatting about the most, but I also get to do that for um, things like um, Blizzard Entertainment and uh, the stories and stuff con- uh, connected to their games, Magic the Gathering, um, and, and some others. So um, it's really cool. Uh, it's a ton of fun. I get to go out and you know find really great voices to bring into these worlds and help contribute their perspectives and their own story 
stories to the characters that we know and love and obviously create new ones. Um, and then I also get to work with people who have been working on things like Star Wars for years and decades, and some of whom have actually been working on Star Wars longer than I've actually been around. Um, so um, it's it's a ton of fun. Um, it's a dream job. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, so I just kind of sit around and read all day. That's actually not true. I wish that's really what an editor did, but um, uh, I do I do read a lot. So to date, what's been the biggest Star Wars book that you have edited? Uh, what is I don't know what what would be the metric for biggest. Um, I mean, I have excited about. Uh, okay, um, so I have. Um, either edited myself or co-edited or done a sort of side or support edit on every Star Wars, adult Star Wars book since, um, really since Lords of the Sith. I was hired, I actually started working at Del Rey the day A New Dawn came out in 2014. I, that The day A New Dawn published is the day I started working. So A New Dawn, Tarkin, and Heir to the Jedi, which were those first three books coming into late 2014 to 2015, were pretty much done when I started working. So I didn't really work on those but starting with lords of the sith i started doing kind of co and side edits as an assistant and so every book from every adult novel from then up until you know the um uh, resistance reborn which was our most recent title um i have either co-edited or been the editor on um i mean all of them are super you know exciting for one reason or another i would say that the couple that stood out to me as particularly exciting for one reason or another is uh um, you know, getting to work on the novelization for The Force Awakens, just because that meant getting to work with Alan Dean Foster um, and getting to work on the first Star Wars novelization in, you know, quite a long time related to Episode 7 was very cool. Uh, getting to work on um, Thrawn, uh, the first <sighs> Thrawn novel uh, with Timothy Zahn was awesome because, you know, I grew up reading all the Star Wars books. So it was my first experience getting to actually work with Timothy Zahn. Um, and then getting to work on the From a Certain Point of View anthology that came out for the Another 40th anniversary one. just because of a kind of how ridiculous and ridiculous in the best and most fun way that project was bringing together 43 people to create 40 stories and really kind of push the boundaries at, at the uh, you know for the original Star Wars story I think those projects kind of stand out as high points for a variety of reasons now with Delray, uh, do you cross over as well with like Penguin Random House? I mean, are y'all yeah. all one group? Yes. So Delray is um, an imprint okay. of Random House, which is obviously part of Penguin Random House. So the, the way it works in kind of a nutshell for large publishing companies like Penguin Random House or HarperCollins is um, they'll be the overarching company. So the big Penguin Random House. And then within Penguin Random House, it's actually made up of a ton of what are called imprints, which is just a kind of fancy way, a fancy term for um, independent uh, editorially independent um, publishing uh, segments. So Delray is a science fiction fantasy imprint. We do original science fiction fantasy and stuff like Star Wars books. But there are a whole bunch of other imprints like Crown. People are probably familiar with names like Knopf um, if you you know have a lot of cookbooks and stuff like that. And so each of these imprints kind of works to develop their own okay. <clears throat> slate of books to publish. Um, but we are part of the overall Penguin Random House family. So yes, Delray is part of Penguin Random. So you got to work 
work then on Dooku Jedi Lost. Yes. Um, so that was a cool, fun project that was the first of, uh, for us, uh, audio first um, project with um, our audio team. And I, we actually work with the audio team on all of the, you know, all of our novels get turned into audiobooks. So we work right. with them on all of those. But yeah, specifically with Dooku Jedi Lost, we got to do something a little bit special since it was an audio first project. I, w- I will say of all the most recent books, that has been my favorite because uh, one, it, it gave me a new appreciation to Dooku. And I'm like, eh, Dooku, yeah, he's okay. And then what well, we see him through Clone Wars, I'm like, yeah, this book, it's like, okay, Dooku's actually pretty cool. I, I like the guy. Um, but being an audio engineer myself, I love the dramatized telling of the book and it's what i've liked with the old legends books there were some that were dramatized i, I want to say uh the air the air to the empire series or dark force i don't remember not off the top of my head but i know there were some previous the there were either. some previous ones that were dramatized and i enjoy those um because it it does um, just make it a little more entertaining to to listen to. Yeah, it was something we kind of wanted to do for a while. We'd always the 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 audio team over there. We're always talking to them about things, and we, we'd always sit around. People are like, oh man, love the old like NPR Star Wars. I love all these yeah. these kinds of old audio things. And so we always kind of were talking about how we had all kind of collectively experienced and really enjoyed these things. And you know, it was a few years ago that they really started to on the audiobooks just up the production in terms of weaving in more music and more effects and bring that kind of cinematic feel that that extra sensory experience you can get with an audiobook and that just kind of continued to evolve to the point we what if we really went for it and did something that was almost like an audio play which Dooku ended up being see that Um, that's what I liked about the first couple um Thrawn books was the the music overlay and some of the effect sounds I'm like okay it's it's not like days of old where you just had (laughs) the same voice with maybe some inflection like okay driving this is not good at times. Um, but then to go full tilt with the new dramatization, I loved. Are there plans for future books to be dramatized? I mean, all of, so all of our books obviously are going to continue to have their audio versions. So, you know, later this year when you go to buy the next Thrawn book or Alphabet Squadron 2, obviously there'll be an audiobook component. I think it's one of those things that, you know, Dooku was the first time we did it and we were excited about it. We were like, I hope everyone else is excited about it. Um, I think that we would love to do more of them. So it's one of those things where there's, you know, if people like us doing that, if people enjoy it, if people had a good experience with it, then that certainly ups the chances that we'll maybe do more of them in the future. Um, But uh, we I, I certainly thought it was a blast. And I know that the rest of the team had a good time doing it. So if the right project and the right idea comes along, that's you know perfect for that medium. There's no reason we wouldn't. Missing, well, missing out. Let me, hop in, let me hop in here real quick, Mike, on that one. Um, with the popularity of scripted podcasts and things like the serial podcast, things like this, have you guys discussed possibly doing something in that vein, like doing a series of short stories or possibly a series of um, of the old almost radio show style um, series? We sort of we talk about lots of different mediums or sort of, you know, a book, let's say we'll call them book adjacent mediums. Um, so we talk about lots of different things and sort of uh, especially because we we see all the same things about like, oh, look how many people are listening to audiobooks now. And look how many people, you know, a few years back started to read ebooks, which is, you know, we started to do some ebook original things and short things. So we're always kind of like looking around at the various 
um, kind of uh, book adjacent mediums that are cropping up and looking at which ones might make sense. And more importantly, which ones do we find that we have a story idea that takes advantage of what that medium does or what is unique about that medium? What can we do with that medium that we couldn't necessarily do the same way in the pages of just a printed book. Um, and so if all of that alchemy kind of comes together and we come up with a great story idea that we think takes advantage of it, there's no reason we wouldn't explore any particular thing that we haven't yet. Um, and then also figuring out, you know, there's always like things with like making sure you have the right platform then to actually like put it out or, or to you know, do all the, the kind of logistical sides of things. Um, but yeah, we, we talk about things all the time um, that are kind of different than what our normal thing is because we like to experiment and we like to try new things because it keeps it not only gives a, a chance to maybe reach a different audience or reach more people or give people a new way to experience something like Star Wars, but it also keeps things fresh and exciting for us because we like to try new things. So with the with the the Dooku book, was was the intention always to do it as audio first? Um, so Dooku, Dooku is one of those characters that I think ever since, at least from the time that I would have been working at, at Delray, Dooku is one of those characters that if I, you know, you'd go out and be at like Comic-Con or just asking around on social media, like, hey, you know, who would you love to see a book about? Dooku was always like right near the top of the list of, you know, the kind of character that we kind of get a lot of the most demand for, I think, because even though the character appeared in quite a few places in animation and obviously in film, there was never like this super, you know, intense magnifying glass put to that character and particularly some of his backstory before where where we see him in, in Clone Wars and the prequel films. Um, and so it was, you know, when we decided too that we wanted to do this kind of audio thing and looking like what kind of story made sense, the the idea of doing something for Dooku and have, being able to have this kind of epic scope to it, which is what his story really demanded, really diving into it. Um, then it sort of just ended up being a perfect marriage and it seems so natural to be like well this is the one to do it with um let's do it with this one let's really push for it um so it kind of like it's not really a chicken or the egg thing it sort of like came together naturally and simultaneously when we were thinking about like oh we should totally experiment and come up with an idea that we could do audio first and dooku was just kind of a pretty easy uh, step from there so in that case was it written more with the audio book in mind or just yep. so um if people have seen since we did the audio edition last spring, we actually did a print edition of the book in the fall. And if you go buy the print edition, or I believe you can buy it, um, you know, digitally as like an ebook, it is not a prose novel. You are buying essentially a script, a play script, or or, or the audio script, and that yeah, is right. what was created for the audio production. So we we never, you know, Kevin Scott, the the fabulous author, never wrote prose. See, there there is not like a prose version of that story. The only version that story exists is that script because that script is what the audio teams obviously needed in order to create the uh, the story so when we went to actually do the published version of it um, the only thing we did was um, add some extra what are they called um, kind of extra scene directions or clean up some of the scene directions because originally the scene directions weren't meant to be seen by anybody except like the audio producer so they weren't right. you know weren't right. proofread or written in perfect English or anything like that but yeah it was always because it was imagined as audio first it was developed specifically with audio needs which means a, a an audio script rather than prose pages hmm. okay interesting well so so it does have like director's notes added yeah, into like it 
like you know quote unquote stage directions gotcha. um, those kinds of things um, Wait, which yeah. I'm familiar with being in the entertainment I started off in the theater world so I totally understand so this so the book for the the physical book would be almost the the Star Wars equivalent to the BBC Hitchhiker's Guide radio drama script that came yeah, out very, years Perfect. very similar to that or if you've bought you know they, they published you know the Harry Potter Cursed Child in a you know the screenplay if you've ever bought a play or a movie screenplay it's going to look exactly like a lot of those formatted the same way um, and it's pretty cool we even also pulled a little trick because um, we know that a lot of our readers are very um, uh, very much like having symmetry on their bookshelves but you know if you think about it a screenplay has so much dead space in the margins so if you if you put that on a normal piece of paper or a normal hardcover book you're going to end up with a ton of dead space and it's going to look weird so what we did was we used a trim uh, a book trim that when you put it on your shelf looks exactly like all your other Star Wars books your, if you have your hardcovers but when you pull it off the shelf it's only half as wide because the page only needs to be half as wide so Excellent. it's kind of it's like we pulled a little magic trim <laughs> Called pull the little magic trip so that people can keep their shelf symmetry, but actually have a book that is formatted to the needs of that particular writing style. So, so in 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 sense, it's um, for those who don't know, most scripts, uh, be it for television or for theater, you'll have stage direction and crew notes, and which includes the stage manager notes, usually on the left hand side. Now, on the right hand side is your script itself. So you're saying you're taking half of the left-hand side, almost making it like a margin in the full script side on the right to create the book. Um, we actually, instead of setting those, because there aren't a ton of stage directions, instead of setting those off separately from the script, they're, they're kind of in line with the script. Oh, okay. Uh, but because the scripts are generally, you know, just run down the center of a page, you don't right. need all that buffer on the left and right. right. You just got a ton of dead space. So then we just kind of shrunk the page in on itself a little bit, but kept the same height. Oh, I can't wait to get this book. I've been it's it's on my list to get so I'm excited to get it because it'll be fun to sit down and listen to the book again while reading the script and um, so now as an editor are you involved with the voice casting on the um, audio books no, not really because you know that that is um in in the same way that like i kind of have the knowledge and expertise of going out to find writers whose um writing styles and perspectives and stuff i think are going to fit a story our audio team and our audio producers obviously have access and knowledge of a wide variety of of audio narrators who similarly will fit the kind of story the the place where i'm involved in that is when we start working on a book and when we start writing our story i will sit down with the audio team and say hey this book is primarily about these characters or this character or these are the main povs the types of people in terms of you know is it you know uh you know men versus women or you know the kinds of accents that we might think we might have just to help guide them in terms of who we think makes sense for the type of narrator that we, audio narrator that we want and then they will actually go out and find and choose the person to narrate the books. I'm not, you know, sitting down there and be like, all right, 
it's got to be this person um, because that's that part is not the part that I have expertise and they have expertise. But I will provide them with an early outline and give them some notes about like, yeah, you know, this book is mostly told through like Poe Dameron's point of view. So we probably, you know, we want someone who can, you know, do a good Poe Dameron or, or whatever. Um, I'll give them those kinds of notes as a guideline. So was it um, Kevin's idea to make this whole thing, make the whole story through the point of view of Ventress reading the the Hollow Chronicles or how did that idea come about? Yeah, so that idea came about because um, we were really thinking, and I can't remember where that exact contribution came from, but it, it came from this concept of like, well, if we're diving into Dooku's past, which from what we know about Dooku and what we can infer about Dooku, it doesn't really seem like it would be the easiest thing in the world for you to just go look up everything about Count Dooku. Like, you're not just like going down to some, you know, you know, archive in some public archive somewhere and just like pulling up the complete history of Count Dooku. Kind of seems like that's some information that would need to be un uncovered and searched out. And so when we were thinking about that, because of his relationship with Ventress and the Clone Wars and because because of that sort of tenuous relationship that we knew was going to have a little bit of an impact here and we were going to be jumping back and forth a little bit between like a present and a kind of past, it kind of became this natural thing to have this interesting – because too that it's an audio book. It's like, well, who is telling you this story if it's audio first, if it's narration? Who is telling you this story? Um, thinking about it that way and thinking about taking advantage of, of the medium in that way, it kind of then fell into place of, oh, it'll – you know. Ventress is going out seeking this information and one of the puzzles that the readers are going to un, un, you know, put together is why is she putting this information to what end is she putting this information for and what's the end game for this information. So that it came out of that in developing how, again, going back to how do we best take advantage of this medium, an audio play, which is very much about narration and thus someone telling you of her story versus a prose book where you are, you yourself are, are kind of engaging with the story. Um, so that's kind of where that came from from um and all the crazy awesome wild stuff that goes on in that book is is a lot of it comes from uh Kevin, who's a brilliant awesome amazing storyteller and was like so excited to get to just dive in on dooku um and just kind of take his story in, in crazy places um so like coming up with like a funeral moon and stuff like that which a literal death star which uh which which is maybe my favorite nugget from that fat book i i liked as well the um the tie with Sifo-Dyas. And we also explore sifo a little bit more as well through Dooku. You actually, this may be one of the first times we actually get to see who is sifo We've heard the name all these times. You may have seen something, but this is the first time I, I, I think that we've ever, anybody's ever actually gone into who is sifo Yes, I believe it is. Tom yeah. can correct us on that. Uh, no, I, you know, I think that's more or less correct. Certainly the character hadn't been delved into with too much um, uh, into too much focus and detail and certainly not all that much to this extent before. And that, again, is one of those things that it'll come up with every project that we do, which is that we'll kind of glom onto what is our central story, our central character, et cetera. What's, you know, where are we time-wise or, or where are we in terms of the eras? And then as the story develops, what will always happen is there'll be that little piece of a side character or some other nugget or some other detail from Star Wars that we look at and we're like, oh, 
this is that opportunity to kind of pull out those threads and extrapolate out something that, you know, hasn't ever been extrapolated out too much or has never had the kind of screen time or 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 page time or or, or whatever um, and really dive into it in a deeper, more interesting way. And it just so happens that, you know, Savadius happens to be one of those details that we got to play with here with with Dooku. Well, actually, I had um, this is on here. One of my um, favorite stories or books I've read this year was Alphabet Squadron. Oh, awesome. And I think part of it is I loved, loved the Rogue Squadron series. When I, yeah. Was it a conscious effort? Because Alphabet Squadron has a lot of stuff in it that feels like the old Rogue Squadron series. I mean, it may be just the fact that it's about a squadron of uh, fighter pilots. But was that actually an intentional part on you guys's? terms to try to possibly bring the idea and the feel of what we had with Rogue Squadron back in the 90s up to modern Star Wars. Was that I actually mean, done on purpose? or There is there is no way that anyone could sit down and say, okay, we're going to do some, some Star Wars books, we're going to do a new trilogy, and it's going to be about pilots. There is no way you get past those like 10 words without you thinking, oh, Rogue Squadron, Wraith Squadron, like the legacy of pilots in Star yep. Wars and pilots' stories, particularly in the book space, is just so ingrained into readers' minds that – Absolutely. When we sat down and started talking about, you know, it'd be great to do some new pilot stories. And, you know, it'd be great to do not just like a one off, but doing a trilogy of pilot stories, doing a big pilot story, really delving into characters and really delving into like kind of grounded characters who feel really, you know, fully fleshed out and alive. Again, there's no way to think about those concepts and not think about the work of the X-Wing books and all of that stuff. So it was definitely a conscious decision in that we were well aware that the moment we told people, oh, hey, guess what? There's a new trilogy coming about pilots that everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, is this like X-Wing? Is this like Waste Crouching? So the goal, of course, was not to try to imitate or redo or rewrite or overwrite or, or any of those kinds of things because those books and those stories and those characters are – amazing and if you tried to recreate them in any way like that you just that wouldn't work so it came about in terms of them thinking about what kinds of pilot stories haven't we seen all that much of or what kinds of pilot stories maybe have we seen and maybe did we see somewhat in those those x-wing and those Wraith squadron books but was interesting given the setting because we knew that we were going to be telling this in a post you know kind of just after Battle of Endor, kind of post episode six territory. So, what does that look like? What what would a you know squadrons of mission look like? What would how would they be brought together? And so that then informed the details of Alphabet Squadron, which you know do still bear a resemblance and have some similarities with some of the the Rogue and Wraith Squadron stuff, but very much have their own identity. And it was a conscious decision for us to try to make something that could very much stand on its own, but still kind of inherit the legacy of those books, but not in any way be there like this is to replace those books. Um, but we, I mean, there's there's <clears throat> no way we we, we could have made those books not thinking about the Wraith and uh, X Wings, and that's probably one of the reasons. Um, I can't remember if I were talking about this like directly, but that's probably one of the reasons why we ended up with like a mixed squadron. We ended up doing something not that was just not like a bunch of X Wings, you know. The doing yeah. something a little creative with the squadron itself, I think, helped give it more of an identity and set it apart. Yeah, I think. 
think it definitely I think you hit it right with legacy but also it's it's got the spirit of the you know, I mean the camaraderie and the best parts of Rogue Squadron without actually making that bo- series again well, that's good to hear who's your do you have a favorite pilot uh, and is the, your actually, favorite pilot also flying your favorite ship because I uh, from talking to people I, I I have noted that that is not always the case yeah <clears throat> no I just I enjoyed the whole thing it was amazing to um, go through and it just like I said it brought back memories of wow I how much I loved just listening to the pilots back and forth and the banter and stuff and and um, especially the, it felt a lot like um, more towards Wraith Squadron the Rogue Squadron because you got more into the spy stuff and all the things outside of the cockpit yeah that makes sense that's a that's a good connection um, and I'm so I'm glad you liked it because um, <laughs> Alphabet Squadron 2 is going to be um, is going to be cool uh, it's going to build on the, the first story um, so that's that's going to be fun coming out this summer um, I just I just went through and read it again um, Alex is uh, is doing great work um, pushing the characters into some some new places um, um, which is cool um, and that that I'm glad that you mentioned that book too because that was also fun in that we got to work with our friends at Marvel and do a kind of little crossover thing with the comic books and the TIE fighter group that was um, my next question was yeah. how hard was it to work with Marvel or how easy was it uh, to tie Alphabet Squadron into oh, TIE I fighter mean, and, all and that stuff, after this I will tell you who my favorite pilot is from okay um, all that stuff is really easy um, it, it's easy because we you know work with our friends at Marvel and our friends at Lucasfilm and stuff we work across with all these people a lot and we've been working with them a lot and actually you know Marvel specifically the Marvel office and our office are like four blocks away from each other so like oh, anytime cool. we want to hang out like we could go talk to the Marvel folk pretty much anytime we want and vice versa but also we just we we worked with all these people for so long that when we have when we all have, when we have an idea and we're like hey you know we'd love to you know pull this character from over there and bring them over here. We'd love to, you know, kind of do this thing and overlap a little bit on a plot thing or, Hey, you know, we heard you guys are doing this thing. Like, you know, could we, you know, swap some details here? We're going to do this or, Hey, you know, you guys want to adapt, you know, one of our books into a comic. Like all of those things are actually pretty easy and seamless because we just all have this pretty close network of working together. And it's a pretty, you know, uh, we've got a pretty clear and easy relationship of working back and forth. And everyone is super collaborative and excited to have those kinds of crossover things so you know it's usually like oh yeah definitely and oh can we do more can we make it bigger than the initial idea um so it was really easy for jody hauser who wrote the the tie fighter yeah. mini and and alex freed to right. you know you know pow out together and chat about you know the different characters and the sort of elements of each of the two and the overall plots um and where they wanted to intertwine and where they wanted to kind of push away from each other so that each story obviously also sets itself apart has its own identity um so that really wasn't wasn't really difficult at all. Um, we even, you know, exchanged art with them. I think, you know, they took some of our character art and turned them into variant covers for some of the issues of the comic, which is super cool. So, um, you know, uh, that that was actually really, really easy and a whole lot of fun. It was it was super cool. And my favorite, which is odd for me because I'm not a big fan of the ship, but in Alphabet Squadron, I became a fan of her ship. And I liked her because she she's the one we heard the least from. That's Kairos. Kairos, nice. Kairos. And it, so the U-wing. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah, Kairos is is a super cool character. Um, I'm, I'm glad that people have uh, have found her um, cool and interesting. Um, 
So that's a good choice. And, you know, I, I mean, the U-Wing is still, I think, a relatively young ship in terms of how long we've had, you know, how much time Star right. Wars fans have had with the U-Wing versus obviously things like the X-Wing or, you know, the A-Wing or even the B-Wing, which, you know, we've had for a while, even though it hasn't appeared in a whole lot of things. So, right. Um, which I, I'm still not a big fan of the B-Wing, but Rebels, when Hera goes and gets the B-Wing to introduce him to the Rebel orga- uh, rebel cells, give me a little bit more appreciation knowing, oh, realistically, it can be a two-man fighter. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, it's still not one of my favorites. I like uh, the B-Wing because it's, no? <clears throat> like it's weird. It's not bad, but yeah. I like when Star Wars is weird. Star Wars is kind of at its best a lot when it's weird or like when it's on the edge of weird. And so the B-Wing is weird. Um, all the yeah. other, you know, all the other fighters like look like, you know, like, yeah, OK, that's a fighter. Like I could see it's a spaceship, it's a starship. The B-Wing is just weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, what do you expect from Mon Calamari's? Yeah. True. Quarry. He is like the best guest character on Rebels. Um, um, I mean, I'm old school. That's my age. I like the X-Wing, but I, I kind of like I, I like the A. I'm starting to like the A-Wings a bit more. And, and I see where the A-Wing kind of developed a little bit from the Jedi Starfighter as well, to some extent. Um, but the, the U-Wing is slowly growing on me. That's it, good. It, it's, it's I like just, the U-Wing. That's what's kind of cool about the U-Wing, because it does the A-Wings, the X-Wings, the Y-Wings, um, even the B-Wing to an extent. If you go back and wa- now watch the prequels, where George Lucas did in those movies and stuff, is you see the precursors to a lot of these ships. You see parts of these ships that were used in p- earlier versions. Mm-hmm. The U-Wing, when they brought that in, it kind of came out of nowhere. There's no yeah. other ship I've seen that looked like that in the prequels or any time before Rogue One. Yeah, and to have that sweep wing, uh, sweet wing to it mm-hmm. was very cool as well. So um, it has been announced. There is a young Poe Dameron book. That is that that was announced. I think today. Is either today or yesterday? Yeah, I think Any, it was today. Anything you could tell us about it? Um, so that book is actually being published by our. That's not a Delray book. That is being published by our friends at Disney Press, Disney Lucasfilm gotcha. Press. Okay. So um, the uh, the young adult and the middle grade books are published by the Disney Lucasfilm Press. So they're the folks okay. who did Lost Stars and the Ahsoka novel. Um, the the um, first Padme uh, book, Queen's Shadow, and the Padme book that's coming later this year, Queen's Pearl. Those are all from our friends at Lucasfilm Press. Okay. Um, so they are doing the 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 Poe Dameron book um, by Alex Segura, I believe, is writing it. Who is yes. a fantastic author. If yes. people aren't familiar with his work, he's really great. Um, so he's going to do an amazing job with Poe. Um, so. I couldn't tell you anything more about it, uh, even if I if I wanted to. Um, but it's going to be really cool, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, now I know I, I've heard the stories uh, from sitting in at panels at Celebration with Marvel talking about their collaboration with Lucasfilm, and I know you guys had the same thing with stories that you have that you got to go back and forth with story group. Go yes, you could talk about this. No, because it's going to pop up. Something similar is going to pop up in either another series or another show and we don't want to cross contaminate uh has there been anything that y'all have pitched that um you could talk about that was a really great idea and they just came back and said yeah you just can't do it 
I'm going to say the answer is no, because this is the reason why. So first of all, there's always stories or elements of stories that when we're developing a concept or we're developing a book, that there's always going to be stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor. I actually keep a file on my computer of everything from pitches to parts of outlines to sections of first drafts to even just like a paragraph that for one reason or another just ultimately didn't make its way into a final book. And the reason I keep them is, and the reason why um, I can't tell you about any of them, is because from time to time, one of them will see a second life. Um, or could see a second life in another form. I might look at, you know, uh, uh, you know, an arc in an outline that got cut for whatever reason and say, you know what, this wasn't right for that book or it wasn't right for that moment or it didn't work here. But actually, this little element could totally work in this new story over here. Or, you know what, this pitch didn't work then or, you know, it wasn't quite right or it wasn't fully baked or, you know what, it really wasn't all that good. But, you know what, now we've got a kind of new wrinkle to add to it or something else has happened that kind of adds a new layer to it. And, you know, what, we could tweak this and turn it into a new thing. And then suddenly it has a whole new life. So the reason why I don't really ever share any of this stuff is because someday it might be real. It might actually become something else. Okay. Um, so, um, but there, there have absolutely been ideas and concepts for stories that, you know, made their way a little bit down the track and then didn't become books. Um, and that's actually not new that the, the history of Star Wars publishing going all the way back, um, you know, into the legends days is riddled with, you know, uh, story concepts and outlines and things that got, you know, any number of steps towards being real books, um, including a few that got, I think, you know, way into the manuscript phase and more or less done, but ultimately never got finished and never got published. Um, so it's not new or different. Um, and it's that's the natural part of publishing and making stories um, is that kind of creative ideation. Um, and it's actually kind of the most fun, one of the most fun parts for me, because that's the part where like, it's it's very freeing and very open because you're not just throwing things against the wall to throw things against the wall because ultimately that's not going to be productive. Right. But that's when like you can kind of really start as broad as you want and reach for as much as you want. And then as it sort of isn't coming together or as stuff kind of can't work, then you start to hone it and, you know, mold it down into like the best version of itself, which is ultimately then with what you hope the book that you end up publishing gets to be. Um, so it's actually it's a ton of fun. Um, and to me, it, it's not uh, it's never like, a, you know, when we try something or we try to put together something or try to come up with a, a pitch for a particular thing or an idea for a particular thing. If it doesn't come together, it's like, all right, cool, we'll just move on to another thing and that'll go into my file. And maybe one day it'll get resurrected as, as some other story. So then with giving any actual details, mm-hmm. has have there been times where where you guys have tried to come up with ideas and when all of a sudden you said, oh, I know something perfect. I have such and such in my file and you pull it out and you're like, this will be perfect. Um, at the moment, some smaller things, like very small things, like individual scenes or like mm. some like dialogue that has been retweaked um, to fit the story. But like the kind of the sentiment or a particular 
a couple of turns of phrase. None of the larger concepts have yet, but that there's no reason that that, that doesn't mean it couldn't happen in the future. But at the moment, um, and also I have to say, sometimes I forget to look back in that file because I'll get so focused on like, you know, we'll get so focused on actually working on the book we're working on that like, you know, what, I don't necessarily always have time to go diving back into the old file to see if there's anything worth resurrecting. But um, from time to time, I do look back through it just to kind of remind myself of like the ideas that are sitting out there that I still think are good or I still think could work at some point um, just to keep them right. them fresh in my mind. Well, um, when you guys are getting ready to launch a, or uh, start on a new book, sure. how often um, is the how does the process of starting a brand new Star Wars book? Go? Is it usually you guys in the editorial coming up with a general idea and then having a writer flesh it out and become, turn it into a story? Or is, do you have the writers come to you with a story and you guys work on it to bring it around? Which where which where's the chicken? Where's the egg? <laughs> yeah. So in general, I mean, I know yeah, it's yeah. for each project, but sure. Yeah. So the, the way it works broadly is that we will usually have um, through just knowing, you know, what what is going on with Star Wars or the kinds of ideas that we all have when we talk back and forth, we usually end up with like the broad framework of a concept, broad framework of an idea. And then what we'll do from there is start to think about what type of author would we like to tell that story? And what type of author from a sense of writing style that we might want, characters we think or character types we think might be involved, the kind of um, perspective and voice that we want the story to have or evoke um, if it, you know, if it's going to be a story that is going to be kind of heavily genre focused or sort of really solidly in a type of subgenre that, you know, what kind of, you know, authors do we want to look at who we think can execute on that? And the reason why we do that is then we think about the authors who would fit all of those those ideas, because the goal is always, 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 always twofold. One, find an author who we think has the style, the voice, perspective, all those things to tell the best version of a particular Star Wars story. But second, we always want to make sure that we're bringing authors and putting them in the best position to succeed, because that's when they're going to have a, the best experience writing. And that then means that we're going to get the best story out of them. If we end up just putting an author and saying, hey, go write this story, but that's not the right story for them, because again, their writing sensibility is what they're interested in as a writer, their point of view, their voice doesn't match the story, you're not going to end up with something good. So it usually starts like that. And then when the author comes in is when we start to really kind of hone in on like, well, what is the what is the actual story within this story, within this framework, you know, within the broad parameters of what we're doing here? Um, uh, because then, you know, we want the, the author to bring all of their experience as a storyteller. We want them to bring all of their knowledge as a storyteller and all of their skills uh, in coming up with stories because I'm not an author. I, you know, I help with stories, but I'm not a writer. So we want that writer to come in and really take the story framework and take ownership of it and really build in the actual story. Um, I know I keep using the word story, but yeah, they actually build in the actual story and figure out how it's going to work. Um, and then start to, you know, bring their feed, their input to us. And we start to just go back and forth until we end up with a, a honed sort of finished narrative that they can go off and write. But because, you know, we mentioned there's always so many things going on in Star Wars, always so many projects and always so many ideas and things that, you know, it would be really difficult for an author to just like show and be like, here's my idea. And we'd be like, well, I don't know if you know this, but Marvel got a comic book coming out that's doing that. Or like, hey, did you hear they actually are just, you know, we're doing this, this Podammer thing over here. It'd be really hard for an author to do that. You know, it, and it would just be, be difficult and not for any fault of theirs, but because 
you know, for the most, you know, the authors are, are are not sort of involved with these different things or connected in the same way that it right. would be difficult for them to kind of just send a story into the blind. And, you know, you would spend so much time probably like, actually, you know, that that kind of can't quite work or actually we kind of already did that or we actually did the exact opposite. So we can't really do that. You know, you would spend so much time kind of doing that stuff that you would never actually get to the point of creating a story. Uh, now, how often does it come up where story group, Lucasfilm story group comes to you guys and say, hey, we want this story told. And it's not like a novelization. Yeah. Um, well, that's part of the that ends up just being part and parcel of the thing where we're kind of always just talking back and forth about the types of stories we want to tell. And so those ideas come from all sorts of places that come from friends at Lucasfilm. They might come out of some nugget that one of us um, has kind of thought up. They might come out of the broader. Well, hey, you know, there's these movies coming. And so we know we are doing these these cool like journey to run ups. So there is these, you know, and hey, we want to tell, you know, this journey to thing is all going to be about this, you know, like, uh, for instance, most recently with the, you know, journey to rise of Skywalker, we knew that we we're going to tell a bunch of stories set between episode eight and episode nine to help, you know, carry people forward right. in the story of what happened in that that time period between the, the two films. Um, and so, you know, those ideas then come through of like, well, we OK, so we know we're going to do that. So then it starts to then we get into that other part of then bringing in people that actually develop the nati- the nuts and bolts. Um, but then it also comes in where you're like, hey, we, you know, there's there's the Star Wars land is opening, you know, Galaxy's Edge is opening and there is all sorts of story connected with Galaxy's Edge. So yeah. as we are talking to our friends at Lucasfilm and learning about all these things, that's where these kinds of broad ideas of like, you know, it'd be really great. We should really do a book that talks about the actual story behind this living world, this place, this place that you'll be able to exist in um, and, and check out. So kind of th- these kinds of ideas, they kind of come back and forth all the time because um, pretty much talking to my, our friends at Lucasfilm, I'm probably talking to them pretty much almost every day for one reason or another. Um, so it kind of comes back and forth. But, it you know, it's always about like creating that initial nugget or framework and then bringing an author to actually populate it and make it a real story. Um, you know, well, talking about bringing so an author, how I say it real quick, um, how you guys go about uh, like you have sir, there's like we see a lot of authors, the same authors that you guys end up going to, but mm-hmm. where do you guys actually find new authors at? Is there specifically somehow that you guys, that new authors come up to you guys? There are two ways. One is an author tells us they want to write Star Wars. Um, either they get into, either they just like put it out there on social media and then immediately everyone tells us that an author said something good, you know, said they want to write Star Wars. Or um, what will actually happen a lot is they or their agent, if they have a literary agent, will reach out to me or um, uh, one of the other editors or Jen Haddle over at um, Lucasfilm and basically say, hey, my my client or me, the author, is interested in writing for Star Wars. And so that's one of the ways that we kind of f- start to hear about some people who might be interested. But really the way that happens then is we're always reading, reading constantly, reading books, comic books, checking out game narratives, checking out you know graphic novels, YA stuff, adult stuff, sci-fi, fantasy. I mean, I would say mostly through genre stuff, but we're constantly reading and just being like, you know what? This person would be really interesting They're They've got a really interesting style or, hey, you know, what? if we ever do a story that's like got this kind of feel to it, this author would be good. And we kind of just come up with lists and we talk back and forth all the time about like kinds of these are the kinds of people we think would might be good for stories. And then as the story framework come up, we will go to those lists and we'll have those conversations.
she'd be like, hey, remember we were talking about that author six months ago? I think this person might be really great for this story. Let's see if they're interested. Um, so it's a mix between us and our own discovery and people saying, hey, I would be interested. And then us, after hearing that they're interested, kind of reading their stuff and assessing them and figuring out what stories they might be might be good for. Um, okay. But then, of course, once you become a Star Wars author, um, we start to get to know you even more about what kind of stories you might be into. And obviously certain people get um, very, um, you know, they just become synonymous with certain characters or certain types of stories, which is why, obviously, you know, you go back to the same, some of the same people time and time again. Obviously, for more Thrawn stories, we're going to have, you know, you're going to ask Tim Zaman if he's interested, um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. We know he'll be interested. So, uh, yeah. So how, as, as an editor, how where do you need to be of what's going on story-wise with other things like like Marvel Comics or or Casey's Edge or things like that? Yeah. Um, so it's going to depend story to story. If you're doing, you know, uh, we, we I keep up to date pretty much on. I pretty much at least know what everybody else is doing, even if maybe I'm not consuming every issue of every comic or right. every nugget of every thing. Uh, like I have not finished um, Resistance, um, the animated show, even though you know I'm enjoying it. I just haven't gotten around to finishing it. Um, but obviously I know what's going on in that story. I know what's going on in the comics. So if we're working on a book that I know because of the time period it takes place in or the characters or subject matter that is closely aligned with something else, then I will have consumed, you know, those those things or, you know, gotten the information that we need um, to know what kinds of connections and tie ins and all, you know, all sorts of overlaps right. we can do. Um, but if it's if we're working on something that's a little more on its own or I know that there's not a whole lot going on, we'll sort of just get the digest on what we need. But um, and I kind of catch up what I can because um, I love Star Wars. So I try to read everything. But like I'm way behind on a bunch of the comics um, and, uh, sure, yeah. you know, <laughs> So uh, it's when, hard to keep up, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When we uh, when we need to be really tightened up with something, you know, it's like you know we'll read the manuscripts for other books and the comics that are happening at Galaxy's Edge, so that when we're doing Black Spire, you know, we can make sure that everything is kind of working together, or that there are fun ways to overlap them. Uh, but like you know, working on. Uh, uh, what's a good one? Uh, you know, we, when we were working on Master and Apprentice, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of anything else going on at the moment that was really focused on the stories and that time period of Master and Apprentice. So it's not like we had a whole lot else that we had to um, pay attention to at that particular moment. Okay. Right. Um, now, have you? I, this could be a, a yes or no answer. <laughs> <laughs> have y'all been approached or have y'all approached Lucasfilm about possibly doing a novel around Dr. Afra based on her popularity from the comics? Um, I know that everyone likes Dr. Afra a lot. I like Dr. Afra a lot. We think Dr. Afra is cool. We actually put, if you remember, we put her in from a certain point of view. She yep. is on Dantooine, um, which was um, a really, when we stumbled upon that concept of an idea of like, oh, wait, she should be on Dantooine. Um, <laughs> The, we, we all got very excited about that. So, um, uh, you know, there's no reason there couldn't be a Dr. Afro story in the future. We will see what happens. Okay. Yeah. I will be happy for that. Oh, yeah. she, she's actually one of my favorite characters from the uh, 
from the new Marvel line. Yeah, I, I like Doctor Aphra a lot, and um, uh, I'm I'm good friends with um, Heather, uh, who used to be editor over at Marvel and and was one of the editors there when they were creating Aphra. Um, yes. So we've we've had a lot of fun conversations about about Aphra. I think Aphra is an amazing character. I mean, space archaeologist, basically like space Indiana Jones, like for Star Wars. Like yep. that's that's such a brilliant concept. Um, I'm almost annoyed that nobody thought of that before beforehand, but I'm so glad someone <laughs> did. Um, because we get tons of great stories, um, and I'm really looking forward to the new the new comic that yes. uh, is starting soon. April, April. April. Yep. I I was so glad to hear. I mean, I panicked when they said, "Oh, she's going to be killed off." I'm like, uh, "No." <laughs> <laughs> and then they go, "Well, the new series is coming back in in April." I'm like, "Okay, I'm happy now." <laughs> Um, no, like you said, with her being the like a Star Wars version of Indiana Jones, I also like too how she's the anti Luke, and of course, Triple Zero and, and BT One are the anti C three PO and R two. Whereas with Rebels, you have um, Ezra, and then you've got uh, AP Seven and Chopper as the they're just kind of neutral. That's in, an interesting in way. way to think about them. Um, so I, I like how one person's we we've seen one person and they're droids the whole way and you know we're we're starting to see that more and more with Afra and where we know that she survives what happens yeah. um but yeah I think I think in the, if Marvel was to allow it I would love to see in Lucasfilm I would love to see a novelization pop up as well hmm. of some sort that's just me I don't know well we know we're not going to get into the um future projects with this but um in the time you've been there so far were there any stories or books that you guys have actually done so far that you were totally surprised when um that, that like Lucasfilm got approved it. You're like, wait a minute, where, how did this concept actually get through? And it, I mean, all of them have been amazing. And we, it seems like no brainers once you actually get it out there. But when you guys were first proposing anything, was there anything that like surprised you? Like, wow, we're actually able, I can't believe we're actually able to do this. Um, I mean, not really because we get, you know, there's, we get to tell really cool stories and do cool things. So like, it's not like, I'm like, oh man, we we get to do something. No, of course it's always, we, we always get to do really cool stories and come up with great ideas and they always have great ideas, you know, for us or with us that we kind of develop. I would say if there is one that I was just like, wait, really, we get to do that. It would actually be from a certain point of view if only because it was such a like it was kind of a ridiculous idea when when we kind of came up with it and we were sitting around being like all right you know 40th anniversary is is coming up and we should do something cool with it we should find a way to do something cool and story driven that really celebrates star wars and we were like okay well you know the the easiest like no effort thing to do would just be slap a new cover on the original Star Wars novelization and throw it out there. That's the that's the literally like no effort, you know, least least effort. Find a cool artist, do some cool modern, maybe like reimagine the Drew Struzan kind of painting thing and just put that out there into the world. And then we took that a step further and we said, all right, that's that's no effort. We 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 do way better than that. What if we what if we took this original Star Wars story and had somebody retell it and we got like a cool modern author and did a whole retelling and that that evolved into well what if we retold it but we changed the story in that we retold it from someone else's point of view like what if the whole book was from like another character's point of view just messed with it a little bit and then that's when the idea was like what if we did that 40 times with 40 different authors (laughs) 
<laughs> and everyone did exactly that. We all just kind of laughed. And we were like, that's a pretty dumb idea. We should do it. Uh, and so I only was a little surprised by that. Not because, you know, I was just, it was just like, it was such a ridiculous idea and like a ridiculous undertaking of like, we're going to have 40 authors. We end up with 43 because they, you know, some of them paired up. We have 40 authors write stories. And we're going to retell the whole movie from all these crazy points of view. The, you know, the, um, uh, you know, from every, you know, the mouse droid's going to have his own story. And, you know, Jawas are going to have their own story. And, uh, you know, the Dianoga is going to get its own story, which is <laughs> mind blowing. You know, fake, we're going to do fake wedge. Like, it's just wild. And so, like, when that whole thing kind of came together and we were just like, okay, this is what we want to do, that was the one time I was just like, I'm a little surprised they said yes, just because it was kind of this, it was just weird and crazy but like i said star wars is the best one is weird um so i'm so glad that they did um yeah i think uh, what i liked the best about that was uh just like alphabet squadron had the um a similar feel and things to rogue squadron raid squadron that one kind of reminded me of the old anthology books of the tales from the java's palace and the bounty hunter tales and it was the all the ancillary characters during the movies or during the story you already know yeah that was i know java's palace had a lot of stuff that was happening like during return of the jedi (laughs) yeah that was definitely a reference point too and then it was about like let's take that idea and dial it up to 11 yeah Uh, yeah they didn't quite go as far in the older books Yeah. Would there be the possibility of taking a certain point of view and doing it for the other two movies in the original trilogy? Uh, I couldn't see a reason why not. Yeah. Um, as ridiculous as it was, it was, as I mentioned, kind of the top. It was pro- It was like maybe the most fun I've had. And I've been privileged enough that pretty much every project that I've ever worked on has been a blast like so much fun that it doesn't even really feel work like work most of the time but from a certain point of view might have been the most fun that that we've had doing doing um stories so yeah if if uh, everything worked out i can't see a reason why we wouldn't um but yeah, we'll see um i know our friends at at um dpw at disney luke's film they're actually doing an anthology this year for the clone wars which um is super cool i think they've got a 10 author anthology they announced it at new york comic-con that's coming out that um a bunch of authors are contributing stories that i believe are are clone wars related so um oh, wow. that's gonna be cool um so it's like a kind of a little more mini version because i think it's 10 to 12 authors um but they've got some really awesome creators a good mix of like new voices to star wars and you know people that you know and love um so that's gonna be a lot of fun i think that that's coming out this summer i think don't totally quote me on that but um i think i think it's this summer okay yeah so if you're jonesing for like a you need another anthology fix uh the clone wars ones could be cool i do like the tales of the clone wars um go ahead ken well, no, go ahead, Mike. No. Okay. Uh, well, when you guys sat down with Timothy Zahn to actually bring him back to bring Thrawn back into the books, now, did you were you guys working with him before they brought him into Rebels, or did they do was he on working with Filoni and Rebels first? I don't remember. Yeah. So, so Tim has 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 told this story a few times at conventions, um, and he's told it to me a lot because I happen to be sitting next to him at most of those conventions um, <laughs> uh, because I'm 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 now his editor, and uh, he 
you know, he got, he got a call and he said, you know, they said, hey, would you like to come visit Lucasfilm for a thing? Um, we, we would, you know, we'd, you know, like you to come by. I want to show you some cool stuff. Um, and uh, by the way, do you want to hang out with Dave Filoni for a little while? You know, because uh, Dave Filoni seems like a guy who's got a ton of free time, doesn't is never working on anything. But he's <laughs> apparently got tons of time to hang out. With he's like, uh, sure. Not going to say no to that. So the they, uh, you know, uh, brought him down to Lucasfilm and uh, he got to meet with Dave. He got to meet with a lot of the Rebels folk, a lot of the other people were going to. And they, you know, said, hey, we're bringing Thrawn to Rebels. And I think they showed him the art. And I think they talked to him just about like overall I think some of the broad strokes at that time about his place in the story. And it was around that time, too. We had been talking to them because we knew Thrawn was was going to be in Rebels. We were like, well, this would you know, it'd be perfect. We should do a book. And so that's also then when it was it was basically more or less a simultaneous thing about saying, well, he's obviously coming to Rebels. It seems like the perfect time to do more, you know, book stories with Thrawn. Um, and so then it just started from there. And that first Thrawn story sort of grew out of knowing where he was going to show up in the show. And then back, you know, getting to a place where we wanted to find a good find a story that helped introduce him into the Empire and into the kind of galaxy far, far away as we knew it. But then would lead into specifically when he, you know, shows up in the show. Um, And I think Tim was also was interested in that it afforded him a chance to tell a Thrawn story that he had never told before, which when he and I talk about Thrawn stories and we kind of did when we were talking about alliances and it carried forward to treason is that I think it, he we find it very interesting when we can tell a Thrawn story that we haven't told before. Um, so being able to tell his ascension in the Empire and rise to Grand Admiral is something Tim had never been able to do even in the past. So that was what became the first story. And then obviously, well, we never got to really see him hang out with Darth Vader before. So let's have him hang out with Darth Vader. I know what, wouldn't it be really interesting if he actually knew Anakin Skywalker. So that's how these kind of Thrawn stories had had come together. And, and a lot of it grew out of Tim wanting to find new ways to kind of challenge himself in writing Thrawn stories and telling stories with Thrawn that we hadn't seen before. Excellent. I like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I have um, Thrawn's been a favorite of mine from the, the early years. So I, I was glad to see the whole thing come back and missed and missed out on getting the Celebration 2017 exclusive cover. Is that the first one? <laughs> that was the first one for, for Thrawn. Well, it's, it's any solace. I don't even have one of those. Um, <laughs> I didn't keep one. I actually don't keep um, I don't keep a condition of any of the books for myself. We keep one or two. We keep a couple in an office archive because we have to, but I don't actually keep uh, con editions of any of the books. I keep okay. a regular edition of every book I work on, but not one of the con editions. Hmm. That, that's something new. Any, any particular reason why you, you don't keep a con um, edition for yourself? You know, uh not really. I, I guess it's a little bit like I know everyone can't have one of these and it feels a little wrong for me to just like, oh, I'm just going to take one. That's mine. I mean, I know I, I work on a lot of the books and stuff, but for just I don't know it for whatever reason, it doesn't sit entirely well with me. And obviously wouldn't begrudge anyone who, you know, there are people I do work with who are like, oh, yeah, I love being able to put one of the con editions on my shelf. And I obviously don't think they're doing anything wrong or begrudge them. But for whatever reason, I just like don't feel comfortable about it. So I like taking sense. I think the other reason, too, is I like taking the normal edition because like, you know, 30 years from now, I'll go into a bookstore and I be, I could see, you know, a copy of Thrawn or Alliances and it'll be the cover of the regular edition. 
So when I go to my shelf, pull it off the shelf, it's like this is the book that still is in the store. This is the like, you know, this is like the the core version of it. Okay, I think that's probably why. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what's been your favorite book to read or go back to maybe that you haven't worked on but has come out since you have become an editor favorite book to read or go back to I gotta be honest I don't go back to a whole lot of them just because I don't have a whole lot of time so unless we're doing a book that has some elements that call back to it or we want to do some sort of tie-in thing I haven't gone back and you know I haven't gone back and and re-experienced a whole lot of the books just purely for pleasure um so that's a hard question to answer. I, I don't. I wish I had a good answer for you on that one, but I kind of don't. Um, yeah, but, but not having an answer is a great answer as well. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, yeah. I got I got one that kind of fits into that though, because yeah. um, we said multiple times during you, know, you read so much, you have to read all this stuff. Do you um, just do you guys read like really really fast, or do you have a trick to getting through that? Because you guys hundreds of pages you have to blow through rapidly to be able to do this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. To actually being able to read an entire novel in time to move on to get the next thing done and still be able to retain all that is it just yeah so it's it's kind of a it kind of goes in two categories so if I'm reading a book because you guys have recommended me an author or someone's recommended me an author and agents reach out to me and said hey love to consider this perfect for Star Wars so I I get one of their books. Um, I'm a pretty fast reader. I actually can read very, very fast if I really need to, but I actually know a lot of editors who aren't very fast readers. Being a fast reader is not like a prerequisite to being an editor. It's a nice skill to have. It's not a requirement. So what I do if I am reading because I'm considering an author is I will read enough of a book to kind of get that author's voice and style and kind of writing sensibility, at least for that book. So I'll read as much as I have to. Sometimes that'll be the whole thing. Sometimes you know, after about, you know, half the book or whatever, I could feel confident that I understand, okay, I could see what the the idea here is. I could see why this person might be interested in Star Wars or why someone might have recommended to me. And so in that case, then I might not be reading a whole book. Um, I might read parts of a couple of their stories or, you know, a couple of things. When I'm editing, so the skill there, there's not really a trick to doing it fast because if you submit a hundred thousand word manuscript, I got to read all 100,000 words. There's, I can't skim around. I can't, there's just, it doesn't work that way. So really what happens is you just, you just have to build in editing time. So what ends up happening, and this is true of every editor who has ever been or ever will be, this is not unique to me. This is not unique to the uh, people that I work with and the, everyone else who works on star Wars. It's not unique to star Wars. Basically, editors do a lot of their work and a lot of their editing is off off hours beyond nine to five. So nights, weekends, uh, I've edited on holidays. I've edited on vacations when I've had to in a couple of uh, circumstances. I actually edited the last Thrawn book uh, part of it while I was sitting on a uh, overlooking a, a beach in New Zealand uh, last oh, year. Um, I was on the deck in a hotel room and I was like, you know what? I don't really need to, but it's really nice. And this is a really cool place. I'm going to edit part of Thrawn here just so I can say I did that. Um, so uh, so a lot of that means you kind of edit at different times. So you'll edit at night or on the weekend, as I mentioned. So because each book is going to go through, I'm going to have to read each book that I work on minimum probably four times before it gets published. Probably that would be I put the low end of three to four times, depending on the book, maybe up to six or seven times. I think I ended up reading 
um, Resistance Reborn cover to cover like seven times before it was published. Um, uh, and so it just becomes about um, comes about finding time and being diligent, though, when you're editing at some point, like a certain part of the book will just be done. It's like, all right, I know these 50 pages. We're not changing anything else. You know, we'll proofread it again. We'll find typos and that. But like the plot of this 50 pages is not going to change. The scenes, the dialogue is not going to change. So I may just skim those over as I'm reading through again or be able to skip some parts because it's like, all right, we're actually, you know, right now this section of the book is the part that needs to be worked on the most. There's not really, though, a magic bullet to all of that. Uh-huh. Well, that does answer the question of why you don't um, go back to reread the books uh, to revisit them because you've already read them six or seven times. <laughs> that is true. I, I, you know, <laughs> and, and also, I'm probably on to another project by the time by the time a book comes out, I'm already on to another project. So like that book is like already in the past. I'm already, you know, on to the next thing or next <clears> things. Um, Cause usually I'm working on multiple things at once. So there, there's one thing I got to ask. Sure. <clears throat> you mentioned the uh, novelization of uh, rise of Skywalker. Um, so how long, how long did, did that spoil the movie for you? And, and like, how long did you know some of the big stuff that, that was gonna before the movie came out. So to one extent or another, if you work on Star Wars or work on parts of Star Wars, as I do, since I don't work on Star Wars, um, you know, I don't work on the movies. But if you work on Star Wars, to some extent, you are going to be spoiled for things in Star Wars. There's no way to avoid that. It's just the way it goes. Um, I would say that if you have to be spoiled for things like Star Wars or if you were working on Marvel or whatever, DC or whatever, whatever it happened to be, if you have to be, then being spoiled on it because you get to help contribute to it is probably the best way to be spoiled on it. Um, so, sure. yeah. Um, so it, it doesn't end up ruining the experience for me. It obviously changes it because I don't have the same uh, I don't have the same surprise moments in a movie theater or watching TV or whatever that other people get to do. Um, right. And I often don't get to contribute to those moments where you um, you have some information about something, but it's like you've got trailers and you've got some you know, you've got magazine articles, got some other things, but there's like you're just in that space where everyone's just kind of theorizing, trying to make the connections between mm-hmm. everything. Right. I don't usually yeah. get to participate in a whole lot of that because I already kind of know where what right. all the connections are. Um, but it doesn't really spoil or or ruin anything for me because I get to all of that. Any frustration I would have about being spoiled for like a for something, I get to channel into the fun creative flow of getting to contribute to the novelization for a movie or contribute mm. to a book that is going to tie into this video game or this uh, comic book or, or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Um, so um, that's kind of how that goes. Um, and like the very first time that it ended up happening, it was when I was like, oh, man, I got spoiled for it. But then like very quickly, I was like, you got spoiled for it because like the people are making Star Wars told you about it. Like not because like, <laughs> so, you know, you ran into like a random gif on the Internet or something like that. Um yeah, uh, true. So, and I guess, a- I, I guess you could still enjoy seeing the audience reactions at, like, if you go to see it at the theater. Yeah, and I that that's actually the biggest thing that I now kind of take away from it is I get my my biggest enjoyment out of Star Wars comes from watching other people's reactions to it. Not because I don't enjoy Star Wars or I don't like the movies or the shows. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's because because I'm right. so kind of 
deep into it, getting to watch when people see something for the first time that I already know was coming, getting to see their excitement for it, their surprise, their enjoyment when, you know, their favorite character shows up and, uh, you know, uh, and they didn't know it was going to happen. So, like, for instance, you know, in The Last Jedi, when Yoda shows up, Yoda is my wife's favorite character. Yoda, she loves Yoda more than anything. And so... I remember sitting in the theater next to her as that scene is happening and I stopped looking at the screen because I was like, I know Yoda's coming. And I was just watching her the whole time. And I hear Yoda's, you know, you hear his, you know, you the camera pans across and you kind of see him and then you kind of hear him. And I wasn't watching the screen, so I didn't see that pan the first time. But you hear him and I could just, you know, just watching that moment of recognition on her face was as good as anything else, you know, because <laughs> I got to see her react to it. And the same when, you know, uh, my friends who I know are, you know, particularly into a particular character or a particular, you know, um, plot thread or heck, even a particular like ship. And so right. getting to see them, getting to see the initial moments, those surprise moments through them actually makes up for the fact that I might already know that something's coming. Yeah, that sounds great. Actually, yeah, I I get to, I totally get that. So, do you feel bothered getting the spoilers before the movie comes out, or no? Um, I'm good at keeping secrets. Um, I, you know, I'm good at keeping secrets in that. You, that way you keep a secret is just don't tell anyone. So <laughs> it's pretty simple. So uh, yeah, don't let them and, know you have a secret, <laughs> uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, don't tell people that you have the secrets and then don't tell people the secrets. Um, and to be honest, too, even before before I, I got into this this job, um, my participation in sort of fandoms and in Star Wars fandom I was active in that I would be I was part of community forums, you know, before, you know, Twitter and things like that I was part of message boards and stuff. But I wasn't all that active as a user, like I would read them and I would contribute some thoughts or some ideas or some theories from time to time. But like I wasn't constantly into it in terms of actually like contributing and sharing. So when the idea, you know, when I started the job and it's like, well, you're going to learn things that you can't tell people. It's not like I was so into the theorizing and developing those ideas that I felt pressure to have to keep secrets because it was just not something that I had done anyway. So it's it's been always been a pretty easy thing for me to do it hasn't ever really felt like a burden um plus like i don't want to ruin stuff for people that you know let (laughs) put aside the part that like i would get in trouble um but like i don't want to ruin stuff for people um you know uh that that seems rude i know there are people who would prefer to be spoiled and that's that if they want to be that's cool but i'm not going to be the person who's gonna gonna do that for them but yeah (laughs) i don't want to be rude (laughs) that's really what it boils down to i think (laughs) well something we've not really touched on is um you said you've been working for Delray working for Star Wars for like five years how did you get into that and how what was your path to get you to editing Star Wars oh man um so it's funny because this used to be a story I wasn't allowed to tell you um ah. uh, yeah but I'll, huh. I'll explain why in a second um and that was my own rule it wasn't really someone else's rule so uh, I as some people might know um people who've talked to me at conventions or or have mentioned this one or two other places um I did not start off as an editor I 
started off as a tax accountant. Um, I was a tax accountant for a while. I went to college. I have two degrees in taxation. I have a master's degree in taxation. Um, and uh, I worked as a tax accountant for a big public accounting firm. I did taxes for like Goldman Sachs. I did their taxes. I did like Derek Jeter's taxes. Well, I didn't actually do his taxes, but I helped work with the people who did do his taxes. Oh, anyway. wow. Um, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so I did that for a very little while and very quickly decided I did not like doing it. Um, I didn't want to do it forever. It was not fulfilling. It was not did not have anything in the level of work life balance. So I was like, not going to do this. What do I want to do instead? Well, I like reading. I love reading and I love stores and I grew up reading Star Wars books. And there are these people here in New York who make Star Wars books. I'm going to go work for them. Uh, so I got myself another degree in uh, editing and, and writing. And I ended up as an intern at Del Rey in the summer of 2012. And I got that internship because one evening, well, morning, it was about 2 a.m. It was like in February. I was Googling around trying to get the contact info of someone at Delray. And I stumbled across an interview with Shelly Shapiro, who um, was the editor for Star Wars books for a long, long time. And um, she had done an interview. I can't even remember what website she did the interview with. And for whatever reason, at the end of this interview, they printed her email address, her work email address, which nobody ever does. Like, that's not a thing. I don't know why anyone would ever do that. But for whatever reason, this website printed her work email address. Oops. Um, which thankfully they did. So I sent her an email at 2.30 in the morning. Now, nothing good ever really happens after two in the morning. That's just no good things ever happen unless you like end up at a diner and get to have pancakes, I guess, like food, good food things maybe happen after two, but nothing else good ever happens. after two. So I sent her an email and I said, hey, I need an internship this summer. Um, I'm from the Connecticut, New York area. So I'm going to be back home. Uh, and, you know, I love Star Wars and I love the work that you guys do with the books. And I sent her this whole like long thing about like, this is what I think you guys do. That's great with the books that other people would never know. It was like this ridiculous, you know, sort of thing on why Star Wars books are great. And I said, I really need an internship for the summer. I need it for credit and everything like that. You know, here's my resume. You know, you know, I understand if there are any opportunities, I'm willing to pretty much do anything. And she emailed me back the next day and was like, yeah, you know that, you know, thanks for email and everything. You know, what? I'm going to pass this on to the HR person and to make what would end up being an extremely long story. Very short. Uh, I, I ended up getting an internship there. I was an intern for a summer. And at the end of the summer, there wasn't a full time job available. So I went off, finished grad work. Um, I did a bunch of freelance work as a editor. I worked for Scholastic briefly, which um, you guys familiar with the um, Scholastic Reading Club, those little magazines you used to get in school, yeah. my, tissue paper. And, oh, yeah. My yeah, daughter, yeah, we, we help fund them through my daughter all the time. Yeah. So I Every actually month. worked on – I went and worked for about nine months at Scholastic on those magazines. So I, I helped design and manage a couple of the – there's like 12 of them depending on grades. So I, oh, I cool. was in charge of like managing a couple of them. So I did that. Um, I was a teacher at my old high school for a while. Like it was it – was, I did a whole bunch of things. And then eventually a assistant job opened up at Delray, which was essentially my old intern job. But now it was a full-time job. It was the same basic responsibilities. And so when the job opened up – they called me up and they were like, hey, we know you, you know, still want to be in publishing. And, you know, I had I had done this thing where even though there weren't jobs, I basically anytime I could, I would hang out with the Delray folk just so they wouldn't forget who I was. So I would show up at New York Comic Con and volunteer to like hang out at the booth for three days and, work, you know, 
carry books for them. Or, you know, when I was in the city for something, I would be like, can I buy someone a cup of coffee or does somebody want to meet and have lunch? And just tried to stick around so that when this happened, they, you know, remembered who I was, remembered, remembered me. And then that's how I ended up with the job. Very cool. Where can people find you online if they want to go find you? Uh, if they want to find me. Um, so, uh, yeah. What is your work email? Yes. <laughs> My work email is. Uh, yes. Uh, one thing you will find about editors, editors are very protective of their, their work contact info. Uh, Actually, I have his work email. It's nunya.business <laughs> at gmail.com. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, they, uh, uh, people can find me a couple places. So first of all, if you send messages to the Star Wars books Facebook group or you interact with us on Twitter, or Instagram at Star Wars Books or Delray Star Wars, oftentimes the person answering you or one of the people answering you is me. Um, okay. But uh, if you want to talk to me more directly, um, you can find me on Twitter at Darth uh, Internus, I-N-T-E-R-N-O-U-S, and hopefully you know how to spell Darth. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. Um, pretty easy to get in touch with. Um, that's pretty much the only place I am. I like have an Instagram account, but I just have it. I don't ever post anything there. I just squat it on it so that no one else can have it. But <laughs> so Twitter's the place to find me pretty much. Um, is- or if you ever go to a convention like Comic-Con or Star Wars Celebration or whatever, I'm usually at one of the Delray at the Delray booth. So if you ever got a convention, don't be shy. Come say hello. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on and enlightening us with the behind the scenes at Delray. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, definitely got some new insight on different things with our favorite books. So, cool. oh yeah, thank you again. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, one final question. Sure. What everything that's been announced already? Yep. What are you most excited for that's on the horizon that we know uh, about? So this is going to be a cop out answer because it's the answer I give all the time, which is I'm always most excited about the thing that's coming next. The thing that is coming next is the novelization of the Rise of Skywalker. So that is the thing I'm the most excited now. And then as soon as that comes out, I will be the most excited about you know the next thing. Um, so that's what I'm most excited about now because that's the thing that's coming next and that's the thing that I, we're gearing up to get released out into the world. And that comes out when? That comes out on March 17th. Uh, it'll be available hardcover book, digital, audiobook, you know, all your your favorite formats. So March 17th, Tuesday, March 17th, it will be on sale. And you can pre-order it. You can get it from your library. All those, all of those great things. Will it have a special first day release green cover? green cover is it st patrick's day as well oh is that st patrick's day uh it won't uh (laughs) because i don't think anyone realized that that's st patrick's day will not have his special first day release green cover um no you can you can paint your own (laughs) book as long as you've bought it please do not paint other people's books or books that you have not purchased um you can paint your own book green if you'd like well thank you for for joining us um it's been a blast, and we would love to have you on yeah. in the future as as you're want to come talk about new projects that's been announced. <laughs> sure, or, yeah. or, or sure, anytime, after, was, or even sorry. after celebration. Yeah, that'll be a blast. Um, I will definitely be there out in Anaheim. So, um, so thank you again. And on sure. that note, give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull up. No, I'm all right. information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2! 
Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? <laughs>